Hey, let me just share with you really quick, especially for those of you who have not heard this before, why did we call this Extend to begin with? And it has to do with this huge yellow contraption over here that we made that, to make it look like a crane. And um, when we were praying about God, what, what, what do we call this whole thing? We felt like God was, was challenging us as a church body to accommodate some of the growth. We were having three services over on Middle Street and just had a lot of space issues even beyond Sunday mornings and, and, in, and in the auditorium. And we felt like God gave us this picture of a crane as I was praying one day. It was just this image of a crane. I'm so thankful for the way the Lord just kind of nudges and speaks to our hearts because it really has kind of set the tone for all that we do. And, and when, I, when I start thinking about like what would a crane have to do with any of this and it became obvious that like a crane, we got a uh, definition here, a crane's base determines its reach. The larger the base, the further that it can extend. And we put this crane together, we got all these cinder blocks there to hold it together. And supposedly, <laughs> at least when it's on Middle Street, my, my oldest son can hang off the front of that crane and, uh, and it doesn't come tumbling down. But you remove those cinder blocks and it's going to come falling down on top of him. We'll probably find out if they're put right after church is over today because as soon as he sees it, that's what he'll want to do. Um, but you need weight and you need size. We went to uh, Andrew and I who filmed a bunch of videos for this starting out, went to a couple owners that own crane companies in Frederick and they talked to us about how cranes can do more work and have greater reach, especially if they have outrigger. I think it was what they call them, big arms that come out of the crane, and they enlarge its base, which then enables the crane to do more work, heavier lifting at a further, at a further length. And so we really prayed about this. We, we spent a lot of time as leaders thinking, God, do you want us to build a bigger building? Is that what you really want us to do? Some people say, why put money into a building when, when you can do this and, and you know, send people out here or support missions? But what we really felt the Lord was saying was our base needed to be bigger because God had some reach for our church that we were unable to do if we did not increase some of the ability of our facilities and the things that we can do on Middle Street. And so it's become the image that we really believe in that every, every uh, you know, t- moment we spend, every dollar we, we, we give to support building this building on Middle Street is really just an extension to extend from there. We planted a church in York Springs a couple years ago and um, you'll be hearing some more exciting things about, about more things like that this morning. Um, but we just feel like God wants us to stretch out from Gettysburg and continue to reach further. And because of that, we, we just really strongly felt that he wanted us to, to create a better base for where we were on Mill Street. We were just limited in so many ways. Um, <coughs> there's a statement that we've been saying for years. Um, if you go to the next slide, it's hard to see. I'll read it to you. Gettysburg is known mostly as the place of death because of the battle that took place here. But we believe God is changing it to be known as a place of life. We've been strategically placed here for such a time as this. And that's also why I wanted to share this with with you. Some of you know this, but many of you don't. That you know what? It's not by accident that God has you here in Gettysburg. And and I pray that it's not by accident that God has you coming to our church. That he wants you to be part of the story that he's doing that's changing stories of people's lives. And uh, and that this place is not just a place of death where people visit because of the battle and in school, school, uh, you know, I can't even think of it, I'm going to say recess. What do you call it, a school field trip? Thank you, I'm going on one in two weeks with my son. Jeez, um, but not just a place where schools come and visit because of the battle, but, but it becomes a place that is known as a place of life. In fact, a lot of Gettysburg College students have come here over the past several years, and some of them live now throughout the world, and I think of uh, uh, Medged and, and, and uh, Jordan, and uh, she'll probably listen to this and will come back and tell me, Chris and some friends that live in England, and different things where they literally say, you know what, God touched my life and changed it in Gettysburg. And instead of it just being a place where people died in the battle, it's becoming a place where people have found life, a new life. And we pray that. And so we, we, we think that that's why God is doing all of this. 
Um, uh, many of you probably haven't even seen what the building will look like on Middle Street. I have a rendering before I show you that. Andy, who's in our church now, um, sent me a picture first and said, hey, I have a slight alteration I'd like to make to the building. I'll let you guys decide if we should go this route. Here's a picture of the building. And he was thinking maybe Chipotle and Starbucks uh, could, could be a part of it. Anybody like... Nobody's missing church if you're getting a free burrito bowl after service, right? I mean, that's, that's like a given, okay? And so I don't think that's going to happen as much as I'd like it to have a Chipotle there. But no, this is, uh, you go to the next one there. Just, this is what the building will more or less look like on Middle Street. There's so many miracles. I'll share with you uh, about a meeting coming up where I'll, I'll talk more about those. But, but even getting an entrance off of Middle Street, if you haven't been to our building there, you don't even know the fact that you couldn't even drive into our church at our church. You had to pass it by three homes and then pull into the Office of the Aging and find the parking lot, which could be a challenge. And uh, the state of Pennsylvania gave us this entrance off of a state highway, 116, no traffic studies, no permits, they just gave it to us, saved us thousands. I mean, God's hand and favor has been with us from the very beginning, it's very exciting. Um, and so, but here's the deal, why, why are we doing this? We're maxing out, and sometimes I look at this, I look at the floor plan, I'll be honest with you, I'm like, I don't think this is big enough, God, for even what you're already doing now as we're in the middle school, but we're, we limited the building based upon the vision that God gave us, and the biggest limit to the building, which I'm, I really am okay with, is the fact that we are a church in Gettysburg, and we did not want to be a church outside of Gettysburg. We did not want to go and buy 40 acres outside of town and have the room to grow because what's more important than having us having room or even, I'll say it now, us having all of our own parking spaces is the fact that we are a church in town where people can walk and find us. All right, Mission of Mercy is, a, is an organization uh, does amazing work with free medical care and dental care and they use our church because it's in the town of Gettysburg and people can walk there who do not have insurance. And as soon as we build our building, they'll be moving back in to take, to take their spot in our building. Celebrate Recovery is a Christian recovery program that our friend Mark Punchard started years ago. And one of the reasons why he uses our church is because, literally it sounds funny, but it's within walking distance of the bars. He not only, A, wants people that, that are struggling through alcohol addiction or various other addictions to know where it's at when they're, when, when, when they're not struggling, but to also make a choice maybe when they've made a bad choice one night to say, you know what, I can just walk up two blocks and I can fix this. And uh, that's partly why he wants to do it. This is important to us. The Agape House is a, is a home for single moms to help them transition to their own, their own places to live that's within a couple blocks of our church on Mill Street. I mean, go on and on and on. We, we didn't care about, about what size sanctuary we could have if it was more important than being the church that God has called us to be in Gettysburg. So our thought is, we'll just have to plant a bunch of churches. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, because we will never be big enough maybe right there because God doesn't want us to be. He wants us to extend our reach beyond Gettysburg. But we are to be a church in town. Mark Twain um, used to say, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. <laughs> There's some things I don't like about that because it kind of sounds fatalistic. Well, if you're always late, you're always going to be late. And I, I think we can change those things. But he's still right that if you want to look at what will happen in the future, look at what someone or something has done in the past. And our church did not start with me 10 years ago. It started 85 years ago. We didn't plant the first church. We planted dozens of churches throughout the 85 years. And I think as we look into the future, we know that God's going to continue to do that in and through our church. So I'll tell you this. I'll share this with you this morning just because I'm showing you videos and talking about the building. Um, it, we're aiming to be in our building by the 1st of November. 
Now, take that time and just throw it out of your head um, because I've learned when you build something that it doesn't matter, uh, apparently. But um, you know what? We're through the most difficult months. God has given us a warm winter. I don't know if that's going to be good for ticks and bugs, uh, but it's been really good for laying footers. And, uh, and so we actually are getting through some of the worst part of the, uh, the season for weather. And honestly, it's probably realistic that we could be in in November. That's not, a, that's not really a, a huge um, goal that, that they're really you know, having to work hard for. That, that should happen, but we'll keep you posted late spring and summer, and we'll probably have a good idea. But be excited you know, to think that's less than eight months away, um, which seems like a long time, but I think it'll be here before we know it. And, um, and so I wanted to share that with you. And then also, one more thing. Um, there is going to be a meeting on Monday, March 20th at New Oxford, our, our location there, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. This is for all of you who maybe are new or just haven't heard about Extend or maybe want to refresh or whatever, but this is just open to the whole church and um, just have a time to be able to answer some of your questions, share it with you, but also talk about what's next. We have a uh, a meeting the week before that with all those who have already been giving to the building project for two years um, because, you know, one of the things, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm not real, a real patient person, and uh, if you remember last year, we moved, we moved into the school here almost a year ago, we, we thought we were going to start building, and we ran into some situations and problems which caused us to have a delay of about six to eight months. That's like killer for me. I mean, I just want to move, but hey, we're here now, and now I even see God's sovereignty. Not to say that God did that but I see some, of the, some things that are possible now that weren't before. We finished up our two years of commitment, and one of the things I want to share with you, we're going to start next week, we'll have some booklets for you about what's next. There were some things that we couldn't put in the original building because we just didn't think we could afford it. We didn't think it could happen. But now we have this extra eight months where we're done with all of our commitments and done with all that we've worked for, and I think that God is setting us up that we can get some things as a part of this building that we didn't think initially as part of phase one was possible. And, um, and one of the biggest things with that, not only taking care and doing some things in our youth and kids departments, which are huge, and we'll share with you more, but just like a commercial kitchen. That was just not something we ever think, thought we could afford with phase one. Well, now I think it might be possible with us coming together over the next eight months together. That could be possible as we move in, because that's a big deal for us with a lot of our ministry. So we're going to be sharing that with you more, but I'd like you to come out on Monday, March 20th, if you haven't heard before, or you want to know just about what's next and what's coming the rest of this year. So join us for that. All right. That's the a little bit of commercial break for Extend, and I'm going I'm to transition to our series, our message here in just a moment, but let me give you the definition of Extend in order to do that, because it ties together kind of the building to, to what I think Scripture talks about with Extend. The definition of Extend is kind of simple. You probably know it. Number one, to cause to cover a larger area, to make longer or wider, to extend over something, which is all these other things underneath there, cause to last longer, spread from a central point to cover a wider area, occupy a specific area to stretch to a specific point. All about kind of extending over and, and occupying a larger area. Number two, to hold something out towards someone, to extend your hand of gratitude, to extend a bottle of water to someone who's thirsty, whatever it might be. You're, you're reaching out to them with something they may need. Or number three, to exert or exercise oneself to the utmost. Boy, I really extended myself the other day working so hard or exercising so much. And really, all three of these kind of main areas of the definition of extend is what is in our heart as four square of why we're building, but also why we exist. That God has placed us here. Listen, I, I say this, I mean, I mean this, I don't make 
like have to conjure up some excitement. I mean this. Like you could have lived any time. You could have lived in Gettysburg in 1721. You could have lived here when the battle was taking place. You could, you could have lived here in another 50 years from now. But God chose 2017 now. He's placed us here in this community. He could have placed you anywhere, but he puts you here in 2017. And there's reasons for that, that God wants to, through your life, extend his life and his love to the other people that live in this community, that share this community with us, to help us extend to them the things that they may, may need, a, a, hand of gra- a hand of help or of gratitude or whatever it might be. This is what God has called us to do as a church. And this is what I want to talk about for the next three weeks as we kind of refresh ourselves on the building. Let's refresh ourselves on what's more important, the theological basis behind all of this. Okay? And so if you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> the, the, the name of the series is Extend, that our city may prosper that our city may prosper. And, and um, I, I want to look at Jeremiah 29, verse 4. We, we usually go to Jeremiah 29, I think it's verse 10 and 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you hope and give you a future. And we have that etched in frames and on the wall, maybe at your home or your office, if anybody's ever given those to you. We're not even going to go there. I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it in the weeks to come, but we're going to talk about another aspect of Jeremiah 29 that I think is equally important. And um, we're going to look at this today in verse 4. Before we do, though, let me set the context of what's taking place. This, this, uh, the Bible is not just a, a story, a fairy tale. It's, it's history, and it follows history, and there's a real history behind the story from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem. This is around 586 B.C., before Christ. And um, there was a nation that rose up <clears throat> called the Babylonians. You've probably heard of them. Uh, uh, the ancient site of the, the capital of Babylon is in modern-day Iraq between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and, and um, they, they've done a lot of excavation there. And so this is nation of, of Babylon led by a king named Nebuchadnezzar, all right? So he came and he, he, he sieged and won and beat Jerusalem. And as you oftentimes did in those days when you would take a town, you didn't want to leave everybody there because they could riot, they could cause divisions, they could go against the nation that took over. So they took everybody that had like leadership potential and strength. They left peasants, they left servants, they left people who were physically handicapped, those kind of things. But they would take everybody else and they, they courted them all off and they exiled them in Babylon, got them out of Jerusalem and put up a puppet king in Jerusalem named King Zedekiah, okay? And so Jeremiah is a prophet there left behind um, after everybody had left Jerusalem. He didn't go to Babylon, but he had heard about what things were going on there. And the people that were in Babylon, obviously the Jews there, they didn't want to be there. They wanted their back to be their own country. They didn't want to live in Babylon with these people who they didn't speak their language, didn't share their religion, didn't share their values, and they wanted out. And these false prophets started telling the people of Babylon, you're not going to be here long. Don't worry. You give it a year or two, and you're going to be back in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is ticked. I mean, you, you see it in the scripture, in the Hebrew. I mean, he's angry. He's ticked off because this is nothing but blatant lies. You're not going to return in two years of Jerusalem. He actually prophesies and says, it's going to be 70 years, 70 years, and then you'll come back. And then he says the famous verses that we all love, for I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, the plans to prosper, give you future, and give you hope. I mean, how many of you, if you came down after church today to pray with people, were like, you know, I just really struggling, and I want to get married. Would you pray for me? And we're like, yeah, it's going to be 70 years. I mean, you would be like, oh, bless God. That is awesome. I mean, praise the Lord. Like, you would have a bad attitude about it, right? You'd be like, is there anybody else that's praying, like, more like a two-year plan um, for getting married, right? And this is exactly what's taking place here. You know, I'm really struggling with my job. When do you think it's going to change? 70 years, the Lord is telling you. What? Right? And, and Jeremiah is just this realist. Listen, you all just want to go back to Jerusalem because you want it to be easy and simple for yourself. And he says, I got news 
news for you, it's going to be 70 years. 70 years. And then God has the most, I'm not just saying this, most commentators will agree, this is the most outrageous, most caught off guard statement in all of the Bible, certainly the Old Testament, if not the New Testament as well, certainly Jesus really caught everybody off guard. But this is like the most outrageous statement in the Old Testament. This is what God says, right? Jeremiah comes to them and says, you need to stop believing these false prophets that tell you everything's going to be fine in two years. And this is what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I've carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, whether you have a little Bible knowledge or a lot of Bible knowledge, I, it doesn't take a lot to realize that this was a shocking statement to the Jewish people, because if you're carried into exile, into an enemy land, into a country that don't believe what you believe, have a different religion than you, have a different culture than you, they do everything differently than you, the last thing that's going to come normal is, I want you to pray for peace and the prosperity of this place. They were just going to bunker down, get all tight-knit group together, and just wait to get back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah comes from, from the Lord and gives them this unbelievable, shocking statement that not only do I want you to settle down and build and increase in the land that you're in right now, but I want you to pray for the prosperity of the city. I mean, I grew up a little bit getting involved because of people's influence in my life with some from Christian television, which is why I usually don't have a lot of nice things to say about Christian television. I'm sorry, that's my own broken past, but I just got involved with a lot of nasty stuff, and it was all just about people making money, and I went to things that just grosses me out. And then I read passages like this, and I'm like, but this is what prosperity is really biblically. That God, it's my job not to become some rich person, but I want to be someone that can make my community and my city and my neighborhood and my family and the people around me's life prosper because I'm in it. And God will give anybody that says that prayer whatever they need in order to prosper the people around them because if they prosper, he says in Jeremiah, you'll prosper. It's not a matter of, hey, I'm really gonna bless all of you while you're in Babylon and make everybody jealous. No, he said the exact opposite thing that you would think, and he says, I want you to pray that the city be prosperous. It's unbelievable, it's shocking. Now listen to this, the Jewish people have been disconnected from the areas of their highest value in life. And I think you might find this list to be interesting. This was written by a commentator almost 40 years ago, but this is kind of standard information of what the Jews were really about. But I'm glad it was written a long time ago because it seems pretty relevant today. Look, look at here, the Jewish people were caught off guard and they, they withdrew, they became fearful, they became angry, they were just gonna kinda, kinda close up around themselves until they went back to Jerusalem because these are the things that they lost. Let's look at this list. They lost their nation state of Israel, which is a nation state is kind of a, is, is a country that is ruled by the culture, by the religion, by everything. It was all kind of tied together in one. Now, now they're in a nation that, that is disconnected from all that they were about. Number two, they lost their king. Number three, they lost their, their army for protection. They lost their, their borders that made them into a country and protected them from outsiders. And they lost their temple, which is where they worshiped. And now they were just gonna sit and wait until they got all those places back and all those, those places of security. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty relevant list to many of us today. 
You know, I know Christians that feel like America has lost its way. It is no longer a nation state. It is no longer a Christian state, and it's just terrible. And oftentimes they cower in fear and they run away. There's people who fear religious freedom has been taken away, that we can't say what we want to say anymore. There are Americans who feel that we've lost our border protection, and now we have no way to control or protect who we are as a nation. There are some who felt Obama was not their king, and now many others that feel Trump is not their king. I find this to be really interesting, all the way in 2017, that oftentimes were affected by the very same things back then. And what did God tell them? You are not to be a people because your country protects all of your rights or because everything is nice and simple or the king believes the way you do or you get freedom of speech. He says, now I moved you in Babylon where no one agrees with you, no one believes in you, no one shares your values, and what do I want you to do? Run and hide and bunker down? No, I want you to build. I want you to increase. I want you to pray for the prosperity and the peace of that country that does not share your values. I want you to first be someone who follows God and not an American. I'm sorry, they were Jews. I want you to first not be an American, not be a Democrat, not be a Republican, but be someone who follows God. Irrespective of what you think they should do or not do to immigrants, you love them because you're my people. And whether you like the president or not, you pray for him. This one, the previous one, and the next one. Because guess what? I'm your king. I mean, it's really interesting. He says, you become immigrants nation of Israel, you've become the exiles. But what do I want you to do is just all go and huddle yourselves together and wait for the next king or for your borders to be restored or for your nation state to come back? No. I want you to build. I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity. So are you with me, church, that no matter who's elected, no matter what's happening in Gettysburg and our surrounding areas, God has called us to steward our cities for their prosperity, for their good and for, and just seek, well, thank you. I think it deserves an applause to God of the mission that he has given us. We feel exiled sometimes. We feel disconnected and banished. But pessimism and fear and anxiety and anger and to be withdrawn is not what God has called us to do. Verse Jeremiah 29, 7, work to see that the city where I send you as exiles is full of peace and prosperity. Yes, that city that you disagree with, everything, you pray for the prosperity and the peace of it. I'm glad that I didn't say it, that God said it, because you can't get mad at me today. I'm really sorry. It's Jeremiah 29, 7, right? I'm not saying anything about it. Genesis 2.15, this language of work sounds awfully suspicious to what we've been talking about the last couple months. To work to see the city. It reminds me of Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and the woman, he put them in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and care for it. That's our responsibility, isn't it? Even if we disagree, even if we don't like certain aspects, it's our job to work and care for our city, our communities. I keep saying Gettysburg, but you live in all different places. You just, you just drop in the community in which you live. We are, to work it literally means, we said this two weeks ago, to dress it, to serve it, to labor, to cultivate, to bring to fruitfulness, irregardless of, of politics, and those are important, irregardless to whether I agree with everything in our community, here's the deal. It's our job to bring about the fruitfulness of Gettysburg and the surrounding areas. So what does it look like? Let me give you a, a quick list that I wrote. What does it look like for families in Gettysburg to be prosperous? I don't know all that, but it's the question we have to ask ourselves, all of us. What does it look like for single moms and single dads in Gettysburg to be prosperous? Because these are our moms and our dads in our city that need, need us and need our help. That's why we're staying in town near a place where single moms live so that we can minister to them. We, they don't need us out in the country. They need us within walking distance. 
police officers in Gettysburg to be prosperous? What does that look like? What does it look like for the homeless in Gettysburg to be prosperous? What does it look like for the immigrants and the refugees in Gettysburg to be prosperous? You know, we had a refugee from the, the, the Congo here about three weeks ago who escaped because of the threat on his life as a Christian. But whether he was a Christian or not doesn't matter, and whether I, what my politics may be or not doesn't matter. He's now in my t- our town, and it's our job to love him and take care of him. That's our responsibility. Children in foster care in Gettysburg to be prosperous. What does that look like? What does it look like for schools and students in Gettysburg to be prosperous? What does it look like for those that are suffering with addictions in Gettysburg to be prosperous? What does it look like for the elderly in Gettysburg to be prosperous? These are the questions that God asks us. Whether we we like where we're at or not right now, God says, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of your community, to work the area that I have placed you to bring about fruitfulness in people's lives. I can't do this, excuse me, I can't do this on my own, you can't do this on your own. In fact, we can't even do this just as a church, as a generic just four square. It takes each person and their individuality that God has put in your lives and come together because God has placed each of you in different places, different workplaces, different neighborhoods, different schools. You have different situations that God has been with you and brought you through that you may not even be happy about, but now God has been faithful to you and now God can use you if you're divorced, if you had an addiction, if you're a single parent. What are your talents? What are your passions? On and on and on. We'll talk more. Work to see the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. So just a couple simple points to kind of take home with us today. The first is being fruitful is always in season with God. You know, sometimes you go to to Giant or Kenny's, right, and you go pick up some strawberries and you get a little basket and it's like $23. And you're like, what in the world? Well, if you want strawberries at this time of year, right, they picked them in South Africa and had to put them on a train to Dubai and then fly, I mean, whatever. It just becomes so expensive because they're not in season, but you can get them. Here's the deal. With God, you need to hear this, fruitfulness is always in season. It's always in season. That when you see a need, when you see an area that, that has a need in our community, There's no, well, I'll do that later, I'll do it next time, or, you know, once God blesses me with a better job or with more money or with this or that, then I'll be able to do that. No, you hear me? No. Fruitfulness is always in season with God. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will always sow reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you. This is not even just about money. This is about your life stewardship. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. To what? So that you can become really prosperous yourself? No, so that you can spread prosperity through your life to the people and the places and the communities around you. God has promised you right there. He says, I will meet your need if you will meet somebody else's need. It's a great, great promise in Scripture. Don't live with a scarcity mentality. Well, I just, I can't do it right now. That doesn't work that way with God. That doesn't have anything to do with God. We can trust God in each situation. I think about Advent conspiracy. I'll come back to that next week because I don't have time to get into it. But what we were able to do with the students here in the school is just unbelievable and it's phenomenal. And you would think like in a year like 2017 that it'd be easy for us as a church to justify focusing on ourselves to finish our building 
as if our building on Mill Street is the most important thing in the world and that that building is somehow the most important thing to our community. It is not. It'll be used and it'll be very important. But God has not called us to live temporarily in the school, in the middle school, or to just wait till we build our building and then we'll start doing something. God wants us to do it now. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with me? Okay, well, here you go. Dan, come on down. We have, a, we have a, an unbelievable, I think, an exciting announcement to make. As you know, about a year, no, not even a year ago, nine, ten months ago, we were given a second location in New Oxford, and um, we've been praying about what to do with it. And uh, Dan's been praying for the last couple months, and he feels the Lord just put on his heart, his family, the leaders and people around him, that God is calling him to plant that as its own church um, in New Oxford, to reach New Oxford, and he'll talk more of the surrounding areas. And, um, and similar to the structure of what we did with Tyler a couple years ago, three years ago with York Springs, and he's going to be gearing up for that for the rest of this year and plant sometime um, in, in the fall. And we were talking and joking, like, you know, you'd think, like, I, I love it because it goes against everything that is within me. Because I told Dan, like I told Tyler, take whoever you want. Just ask anybody you want in the church and let them go. And because, because if we think that we'll build a building or accomplish it because we have to hold on to everybody and they're giving, like that's just wrong. We have too small of a vision. God's vision's too big for us to begin with, so why do we worry about it? So we're not gonna have a scarcity mentality as we go in to finish a building. We're gonna keep building and increase and multiplying and be fruitful and Dan and, and a team of people I believe that he will have around him is gonna continue to do that even before before we finish our building. And uh, we're really excited about this. I wanted Dan to kind of share and then just pray over him before I finish with the message. Oh, surprise. Uh, <laughs> a little surprising, isn't it? You think, um, wow, it very much is something that we think that God has really put together. Um, didn't really see it coming until a few weeks ago, honestly. And, uh, and the Lord really just has confirmed in me that this is something he, was, uh, he has been preparing me for, I think, all along. And uh, we're excited, and uh, we're ready to take this next step. And um, as Mark said, that um, you know we're going to be building a team and, and going to New Oxford. We're calling it Foursquare New Oxford, but uh, most of you know my story. I grew up in Biglerville and uh, very much a local uh, person here. And, and I see us reaching many different communities, um, uh, New Oxford, Bonneville, Biglerville, uh, Gettysburg, and, and beyond. And I'm just excited for the fact that God has given us really just, I think, a gift in what he would want us to do um, out of this property and this building that, that he's saying, just take it and, and use it for my glory and, and see what I'm going to do through it. So um, I uh, was really just um, spending some time with the Lord over the past few weeks and trying to, to make sure that I was hearing from him and not just um, from my own heart and my own mind, but um, in, in studying really Paul's work in, in the book of Acts and, and the Acts of the Apostles that we see Paul doing many different things, um, going many different places. And in, in Acts chapter 16, even, we see Paul had it in his mind that he wanted to go to a few places, especially. Um, but in Acts 16, um, 9 and 10, it, we're told that, that the Lord kept him from going to those places, that he wasn't allowed to go to those places because of God's will. For no other reason, the Lord just kept him from going to those places. And then so we see Paul just, uh, we don't see him being frustrated, but, but he just, um, he went to bed one night and uh, he had a dream. And, and we call this the dream of the Macedonian man, who really, in this vision that, that Paul was given during his sleep, the, the Macedonian man just says, come over here and help us in Macedonia. And so immediately we see the next thing happen, and Paul wakes up in the morning, and he says, okay, we're going to Macedonia. That's a pretty interesting thing to see in Scripture. But what I find even being more intriguing is that Paul said we're going to Macedonia, and then Luke, the writer of Acts, says, so immediately we prepared to go to Macedonia. So who are the we? 
Well, you have Silas, you have Timothy, and even Luke interjecting himself into that. So we see that it's not just Paul's decision, but when they woke up the next morning, uh, the four of them together formed an entourage that said, we're going to go. We're going to, to hear this call, and we're going to answer it together. And so I look at all this to say, like, yes, I, I am a church planter, although I never really saw myself in that regard, but I, I really see myself as being the first one who's saying yes, that, that I hear this call, and, and I'm responding to say yes. We need a church there, and, and I'm going to go. And, but I also believe that as I say yes in, in the first response, that, that God is also preparing you uh, to hear that call as well and to say, yeah, I need to go too. I, I need to be a part of that, and, and we're going together. So, so I throw that uh, in front of you this morning as a surprise and an encouragement, um, but also um, in the midst of all this, and Mark might explain this as well, that um, it's not next week, you know, we're not, we're not leaving, uh, but we're building. And, um, but please remember our students, our youth ministry, keep them in mind um, and, and uh, just uh, encourage them. Uh, I'll be here into the summer and uh, continuing youth ministry with them, um, but they definitely will need uh, your encouragement and support through that time. Yeah, I think Chris is going to come down and, and, and your girls, I don't see who's all over there, but come on down and, and the church council and the rest of you just reach your hand out and we're going to pray over them and we'll have a lot more opportunities to pray over them um, as well. Um, but just, just today as we make this announcement, we kind of wanted to pray over them and, oh no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do have one more daughter and, and she's married as well. But uh, let, would you just reach your hand forward and uh, pray, pray with us for, for them and the Creel family and also for, like Dan said, many others that will join. Lord, we, uh, we thank you, God, for this decision of faith, Lord, to step out. God, to do just very, the very thing that we've been talking about today, to, to step forward and, and uh, take a step of faith and, um, and launch, Lord, this, this new church. Lord, it, literally, God, it feels so good to be able to put ourselves out there. This is a step of faith for Dan, but Lord, I pray that, that we would be inspired to follow suit. Lord, many to go with him, but others to step out in faith, God, because this is what you call us to do, not to hunker down or, or, or pull back, Lord, in times like this, but to trust you for fruitfulness, Lord. And we pray fruitfulness over, over Dan, Lord, the whole Creole family, this, this new church that will start the, later this fall. God, we pray fruitfulness, Lord, that the many people, Lord, that we couldn't reach, that other churches won't reach, Lord, that they will. And um, Lord, we just pray that hearts will be prepared, communities will be ready, Lord, for this new church to go, to grow, and to see fruit in the new Oxford area and on all the surrounding areas as well. In Jesus' name, God, as an Inevitably, there will be some fear, some trepidation, and Dan and others. God, may, may they just be filled with your spirit that is a power and love and a sound mind, God. We trust that you are behind this, that you're going to see many more, more people come to know you, Lord, not just because there's a building and some people gathering, but because people have chosen in faith to follow you. And God, there just always seems to be a powerful response to that. We thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks for coming up, Jim. This is exciting. Give him a hand again. Yeah, one more time. Oh, thanks. So let me, um, as they're going back to the seats, let me finish this up and just bring this back to you. We talked a lot about the community today, and I just want to talk about fruitfulness as it relates to you as we go. Uh, being fruitful is always in season that God calls us to do that. Certainly there's personal application of that as well, but let's look at something a little less community, city-driven, and just into our own lives. That, that the second thing today, really, being fruitful be fruitful, sorry, the command to be fruitful even when it's totally out of season, when it seems like no fruit can be, could, could, could come to bear. There's always going to be a time for God to use us to be fruitful, but there's going to be times where it just seems like this is not a season at all where it's going to happen. 
And yet Jeremiah 17 earlier in the book says this, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I just can't help but think as I was preparing this message that some of you just, you feel exiled. You even feel, as another chapter in Galatians says, you feel barren. You feel like fruit just has not happened in your life. And because of that, you feel a debt, you feel like you're at a dead end. You just, you feel the loss more than you feel what you have. You, you feel broken. You, you, you can't get over what's been stolen to you, and so you can't enjoy what you do have. And whether that's in a marriage or in a family, in a career, things you hope to accomplish, or even in retirement, wherever it is that you feel exiled, you feel like you're in a dead end, the temptation is to just think, well, someday I'll start doing this, someday I'll start doing that. When, when I get past this or when I do this, then I'll, then I'll be good, then I'll be happy, then, then, then I'll start doing something. Gettysburg, as I've had so many conversations in the years past since we live here, even if, if God called you here just to be in school or you just showed up with mom and dad because you had nowhere else to go and you lost your job, there's nothing temporary in God's kingdom that says you're, you're just in a nowhere, so just wait until the next thing. God says be fruitful even when it seems like it's out of season. Be fruitful wherever you are. And if you feel like you're exiled and you feel like you're barren, just know that with God, fruitfulness is always possible. But it may look different. It may look different than what we think. That's where that passage comes from in Galatians. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her, than of her who has a husband. And I was going to look deeper into that, but I just want to say this. What Paul's basically saying is Abraham and Sarah, God told them, you're going to have a child. They went about and did it on their own, and they had Ishmael, which caused nothing but problems and issues. And then they waited, and God blessed them with Isaac. He was the child of promise. And at the end of the day, the, the, what Paul's relating here is like, listen, the, the, the son of the, the barren woman, this, that, that even though you don't get maybe what our world says you should get or our culture says you should get, even though you may not be married or have that job or make that money, to the world it looks barren. But if you get Jesus, if you understand him and his acceptance and his love for you, you have a fruit that can't be taken away from you. Because the reality is, even though the world says, boy, this is the fruit to have, this is the fruit to take, sometimes we bite into it and it doesn't taste good. It tastes rotten, it tastes bitter. Because ultimately, the fruit that we're really after is the fruit that comes from Jesus, that in him, we have everything we need. And so don't let culture, don't let society tell you you're barren, you're desolate, you're exiled. No, if you've given your heart and your trust to Jesus, you have a fruit that can't be taken away from you. Bust out of those oppressive cultural structures that say you have to be this way or look this way or have this by this age. Forget all that and know that with Jesus you have all the fruit you'll need and know that even when you're in a situation that it doesn't look like fruit's possible, God says to keep bearing fruit because with him there is no off season, all right? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Man, God is a gardener, church. He is a gardener and you are part of his garden and he is doing the work of trying to draw fruitfulness out of your life. You're not stuck, you're not exiled, you're not barren. None of you are. You may be there because you've been doing it on your own, but you don't have to stay there if you give your life to Jesus. Some of you, you have been robbed by the world's fruit. Well, you, you have it all. You have the things you thought you would have. You have the things that you've always longed for. And yet right now, you can't escape the fact that there's an inner ache of loneliness, an inner ache of emptiness that you just can't seem to escape from. 
And it's because truly, truly the fruit that you are made to enjoy and eat and sustain you is a relationship with God. And Jesus has made that possible. If that's you today, if you just, man, you, you just, you can't escape that, just that ache of, of disconnect and loneliness, God offers you the fruit of life today, the fruit that gives you such joy and satisfaction that breaks you out of all the shoulds and trying to on your own, like Abraham and Sarah, and allows you to partake of a gift of God, his son Jesus. If you've never done that before, you've never acknowledged him, you've never made a decision to say, I want to turn my life over to the Lord, I want to give it to Jesus today, I want him to forgive me my sins, right now you have that opportunity. No one's looking around but me. I want to see you, I, I want to agree with you today. If you're ready to make that choice, man, respond to your heart right now. Who are you? Look up at me, raise your hand so I can see you, and let me just pray with you. Anybody at all? Never made that choice, but today you want to do that. I don't want to miss you, so I'm looking around the room. Just wave at me if I don't, if I don't see you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I see you over there. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, I see you right here as well, right in the middle. Yeah. Thank you for you as well. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Man. God, we partake of the life of your son Jesus today. Lord, heal us of all the trying and making fruit and fabricating it all on our own. and Lord, just doing it on our own and being stubborn to do it on our own. And God, we make a decision today. These three, Lord, and I pray others maybe that just say, God, I want to come to you. I want to turn my life over to you. One last question before we go. No one looking around. I don't know how many of you with me would, would respond today and just say, God, I want to take stewardship of my city, my neighborhood, my community. Lord, help me to overcome my prejudices, my fears, my anger, my my insecurities being withdrawn, Lord, where, where I've been frustrated or whatever, and I've, I've pulled back, God, today, I want to do what you're asking me to do, and I want to build. I want to, I want to increase. I want to be fruitful and multiply. If you, you just feel God convicting you of that, you don't need to look at me, but would you just lift your hand to the Lord and say, God, I just, I hear you today, and I want to do it. Lord, help me. Forgive me, God, for, for not being fruitful, not multiplying in certain areas. And God, I'm hearing you today and help me to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, you, you see our hands, you see our lives, you see our hearts, Lord. And I pray that we would go and do that this week, Lord, for the sake of our city, Lord, for the sake of our neighborhoods, for the sake of our communities, Lord, that they may prosper. You have called us to do it, Lord. Thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.